I'm Elliot Voltman, and this is Modev Presents. Each week, we chat with the latest and greatest people making a difference in the mobile world. Today with me is Benjamin Young, the CEO and Chief Motivator of Nexercise. Ben, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Hey, everybody. Um, give you a quick uh, thing about myself. Uh, I've been in technology for really a long time, actually. <laughs> now that I kind of just do the math, it's been coming on 20 years. Um, I started an exercise, it's almost been five years now, with an interest in the mobile space and using uh, health to improve people's lives. And uh, recently, uh, we pivoted uh, our main product in the company, which uh, to Swork It, uh, which I'm excited about, which is a, a mobile app experience to, to really help uh, assist people in getting uh, great exercise routines. Excellent. So your company, your organization actually has two apps and a pro version as well. Um, one encourages people to really lose weight through a gamified approach. The other enables people to create an optimal workout wherever they are without any equipment. Can you tell us a little bit about both Next Tracker and Swarkit? Yeah, sure. Um, so we originally started the company uh, focused on uh, Next Track, and at that time it was called actually just called an Exercise to the company. And we were really interested in using kind of gamification to really try to motivate people to exercise more. And, uh, you know, we had some moderate success with that. I'm definitely proud of we had a lot of learnings with it. Um, got to about two, 2 million downloads, uh, a really kind of core set of active users. But the thing we learned uh, from the experience is that behavior change is, is really hard. And I'm not even sure. Like, people are still trying to figure out the world is kind of ready for that yet unless, you know, when exercise actually becomes cool versus, you know, us being glued to the screen. Uh, the the, the sure. funny and this is why I reached out, the cool thing is, is that our second product, Swarkit, uh, really started out as an interesting story. Uh, I met the original founder of Swarkit uh, at, at the first MoDev UX conference. And uh, we both were interested in the health space, and his name's Ryan. He's actually part of an exercise company. Uh, we fostered a relationship over the years. And one thing we found out as we were just learning through the whole experience is that most people, when it comes to exercise, really want a couple of things. They really just want to be told what to do. Uh, just, I, they don't want to think. And they, they want it to be an experience that removes barriers. And so we joined forces with Ryan. We actually acquired this, the original circuit app and we rebuilt it uh, to that that you see today, which is really more of a comprehensive platform. And ever since then, it's just been really growing exponentially. Uh, we had a large focus on UX, and so that is our primary product of the company. That's our focus right now. And uh, I'm, I'm just super excited about it. That's awesome. Um, so that's great to hear. Uh, so what was really the original motivation behind your first app? So obviously you had mentioned that you're kind of moving to a greater focus on Swarkit, but um, you know, what kind of triggered your um, really, you know, what was your motivation just to create something? It, it was really born out of my own 
frustrations, to be honest. Uh, I was always looking for, you know, I had struggled with my own weight, uh, got up a lot. I've always been looking for, it's, it's kind of one of those things that I've just observed, and I'm sure a lot of people are empathetic, that when you're not exercising, you're really at a kind of state of inertia where it, it, it's a lot of energy and effort to get over the hump to, like, begin exercising, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like there's always excuses, et cetera. But when you're actually <laughs> When you're actually on a pattern of exercising, like you're very consistent, the reverse happens. It's almost painful to, like, miss exercising, right? Like, like, oh, my God, I can't believe right. I can't make it to the gym, or uh, I didn't hit my 10,000 Fitbit step today. It's like it actually becomes an aggravator. And the problem is, is just that our lives are so busy that it's, it's harder to maintain the consistent exercising trend and, and, like, the pain of missing it versus, like, not doing it. And so I was always – I was looking for driving the, the, the behavior toward the latter, like people doing something consistently. And so really trying to build a motivational system to do that. And, uh, like I said, we just learned a whole bunch about people's internal motivation, uh, what they need. And, and a lot of things at the end of the day, if you even look at next track users, a lot of them, this adds motivation to them. But if you don't have the internal mm-hmm. motivation yourself, that therein lies the problem. And sure, um, a, a really factor about it is almost less than, than the motivation. It's just the, the barrier, right, the barriers to overcome. And so trying to mm-hmm. remove friction, right? the barriers to, like, getting your stuff together and going to the gym. If you get your stuff together and you go to the gym, you're, you're going to work out, <laughs> you know? It's just the friction right. associated with that. And then you're like, I don't have an hour to go do that. And therefore, you kind of jettison it from your, your plan. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, obviously, a lot of apps tend to come from an internal need. So, uh, it's interesting to really just hear from different developers and different creators, you know, what created it, what caused that. So it's interesting to just kind of get behind the scenes a little bit. So, you know, looking at the difference between your current app and uh, the latest app, what was the difference or changes in kind of the development process? So, you know, initially, you know, you had um, some uh, a lot of different user feedback, so it's changed and shifted a little bit. But um, just between the two, what kind of learning experiences have you gained in the development process? Like, what have you changed going forward? Yeah, so a lot of things have changed, which is, there's, like I said, there's a lot of learnings. Um, with our first app, we, a, a lot of it was intuition-based because it was something more radical about, like, us making assumptions about what may motivate people. And so it was a lot of kind of psychological delve. And one of the things that I think that we've learned a lot from it is we, we try to bite off too much we can chew. Uh, we added a lot of features and a lot of capabilities into the app in attempts to try to hone in on the answer, <laughs> right, and to try to kind of find the optimal mix of what, what is 
because at that point, it's really harder from a user feedback to really understand, like, true motivation, what motivates people. Um, sure. So we learned a lot of things What we did is we, we is the second go around is we really simplified our, our process and, and really focused on doing one thing really well. Um, and that has been a major success to us. Um, you know, we're, we're growing. Sorkit is growing at 10 to 14% month over month. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, you know, we have, you know, close to half a million monthly active users that are growing. Um, and, and what our focus there was is a really laser focus on doing one thing really well and doing in, in high usability. And so our goal was to remove the friction around respecting people's time. And the whole point is, is that SORCIT provides adaptive uh, exercise routines, guided routines that fit any schedule, and that can be done with body weight. Uh, we're actually introducing later this year, we're going to be adding small equipment so people have dumbbells or kettlebells. But we, we kind of liken it to, uh, we call it kind of like Spotify for guided uh, workouts because what it does is mm-hmm. you select exactly how much time you want and it builds a playlist of exercises. So it, it pulls them together into this playlist. So you get a, a unique workout targeting whatever part of your body uh, every single time and you don't get bored with it. And then you can actually create your own exercise playlist. You can say you have a bad knee, you can remove certain exercises. And so uh, people are really getting into it and using that music analogy, really, you know, we've tested 65-year-olds can, can build workouts because they, they understand how to build a music playlist very easy. They understand that if you mm-hmm. press the fast forward button, you're going to skip to the next song or the next exercise in, in our case. And so, and still get a full workout. And so, uh, you always kind of hear now that, like, yeah, the the user experience is, is what's now differentiating people and what's winning, and it definitely has a a uh, an important, you know, I urge other entrepreneurs as they're building their products, like, do one thing really well and focus, but don't even, like, not the user experience, try to make it cool, really look at, like, we look at our competitors, right? We look at uh, Nike Training Club and, how long does it take you to before you actually work out? And like, it's like you have to sign up and you have to do all of this stuff before you can work out. Mm-hmm. And even when you're in the workout experience itself, you have to click a button to see the video. Our videos are like in line in the experience themselves. And so we're thinking about like what is the user doing on the end? Or if you look at – there's other apps out there, but like you have to choose workouts. You've got to go search. Like, hmm, I got – sure. 20 minutes today, I need to find a 20-minute workout, and you may waste five minutes looking mm-hmm. for a 20-minute workout, the right <laughs> one, even though there's several, whereas ours, you're like, I want to do a full-body workout, and you just specify 20 minutes, and it will assemble it for you. And so we're, we're taking a different approach, and I think that's been pretty paramount to our success. Yes, and that sounds awesome. In fact, I'm going to have to probably go ahead and download that. Um, you have no idea how crazy my schedule is. So it's kind of interesting to be able to uh, consider that all I have to do is, you know, a Spotify-like playlist for workouts and kind of fit them in between things. So 
uh, that just sounds like a really creative approach that will likely resonate really well for people with crazy schedules like myself. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like we, we looked at like kind of, you know, every entrepreneur has their problems that there's, there are three problems with existing workouts. Number one, your schedule. Mm-hmm. Like today you may only have five minutes, tomorrow 20, and most of the, the apps don't really think that, you know, real world that it's people's schedule. Uh, the second thing is the, like neighbors. A lot of people are moving into multi-unit homes and like cities mm-hmm. and doing certain workouts at home where you're like jumping up and down or banging around <laughs> aren't realistic. Right. So with Swarkey, you can actually build workouts that don't have jumping exercises. And then the third thing is, is that these things aren't adaptive to, to physical limitations like injuries or ailments. You know, I, I have plantar fasciitis in my foot uh, that I've had for about six uh, months, which really sucks. Seeing a doctor, everything about it, I just kind of got to mm-hmm. stretch it out uh, from using a fit uh, yeah. jawbone and just like going crazy with steps. And so I, there's certain exercises in Swarkit I don't do because I want to make sure to keep certain pressure off my foot. But other apps, I couldn't do that. Like I couldn't, you know, if I, I get presented exercise I can't do, I'm kind of either stuck not doing it. If I, if I skip it, I actually shave, you know, two minutes off my workout, and it's just, you know, that, that doesn't work for me. Sure. So obviously you had mentioned uh, user feedback has really just been a key component to the evolution of what you're building and how you're creating products for people, um, which is quite logical, and that's all part of the UX approach. So besides, you know, like app store reviews, that kind of stuff, uh, what other ways did you solicit user feedback? Oh, yeah. So we do a couple of things. So. App Store reviews are helpful, but they're, it's hard to interact back and forth and get things. Uh, another window is just straight-up uh, support requests are amazing, right? People, people send us to our contact email not only bugs, but ideas for features, uh, things that they're confused on, and we use that as a, a way to open a dialogue with them, right? Uh, Twitter, we have, like, some people engaged in Twitter, uh, I've interviewed those. Like I've asked, like, hey, I'd love to talk to you and understand how you're using Sorkit. And we put together an interview. You know, this is standard, like, you know, sure. user-centric design approach. Like we put, the, put together a question and, and learned about what they're doing and, like, how they're using it. I mean, ultimately, I would love to actually do observational stuff, but people kind of work out of their home. It's not really practical. <laughs> I'm still trying to think about that. Like, hey, I'd love to just watch you use <laughs> which is kind of like weird. But, um, you know, right. I, I really, so we did it with questionnaires, but I mean, like, there's, I'd love to even watch, right? Like, I mean, where do they put the phone when they're watching the videos? Or do they, sure. you know, cast it with air to their TV, like, what are, what are they doing? Like, what are their frustrations? I would love, like, that's the ultimate level. Uh, and then we also use uh, usertesting.com, which is great. Uh, it does mobile. Like, you, you basically put together user scenarios, and they, they have a large test group of users, and you, uh, you watch them go through your steps, and they record a video. It's really phenomenal. Like, gotten a lot of feedback, things that I didn't realize, like, Oh, I didn't, the person doesn't realize that that's a button, right? Uh, 
in the, <laughs> right. in the, in the yeah, or a toppable area. That's, that's actually one of the big problems with mobile is, is that, like, we used to, in the, in the web world, you have a mouse cursor and things like can indicate whether stuff is, like, a hot spot. So with mm-hmm. the mobile, like, you may not know that something actually is a, so I watched a, we have a, like, it's right on the home screen. I'll just do a quick story. Uh, they, there's a custom, like, create your custom workout section at the bottom, almost like where a banner ad would be, and that's how you access the custom workout mm-hmm. filter. Uh, I did a usability test with one of the things we're testing, because we're actually going to be introducing a senior product, and we did a usability test, mm-hmm. and I asked for participants who are o- over 65 and uh, who, you know, I gave them their, their filtering question. So I didn't want somebody super tech savvy. I wanted somebody like average tech sure. thing over 65 and grabbed a few users of that. One of the users there, like, still love the product. I was like, create a custom workout with five or so uh, exercises that you might find interesting. And the person didn't see on the home screen, they don't see this custom workout thing. Like, they, I guess they didn't sure. notice that it's a button. They kind of looked around. It didn't look. And so they went into one of the sections, and they just did a workout, and they, they didn't really successfully complete that task, even though they still completed the majority of the other tasks, and they still found it very usable, and they would recommend it. But it's like sure. stuff like that you just don't know until you, you – that's, that's the closest thing we're going to do to observing somebody, other, especially the first mm-hmm. time, like – First-time observational experiences are the most powerful because the person has no understanding of your product. So you get reactions like, oh, or, or things that, you know, when you go and you query somebody who's been using your product, you've all, you no longer see where they muddle through that first. And that first user experience is kind of like where you lose people. And so that's kind of a long-winded story, but uh, that's, that's huge for us. Uh, uh, user testing to like really actually gauge those things and uh, yeah so like I said just a recap user testing reaching out to people via social networks to mm-hmm. like ask interviews and then engaging with them on uh, through support requests so make sure you make it very easy for your users to contact so those are the kind of three ways that we do it um, so what are some of the challenges that you faced in your initial acquisition of new users um, what do you think really worked best? Okay, um, so I say the challenges for most people are obviously your user acquisitions. Uh, you go look. I've read tons of books like growth hacking, etc. The ultimate thing that they say with uh, with kind of user acquisition and growth hacking is that you have to have a great product, and really you do. Um, other product, Next Track is a good product. I wouldn't say it's a great product. I'm very proud of a lot of learnings about it. But we struggled with the user funnel. And I believe a lot of that was from confusion even when we did testing around the value proposition of the product. So I'll first say there, you know, it's kind of like sometimes a cliche answer, but you do need to have a great product. And one of the things that I really recommend around, like I said, focusing narrowly on doing something solving somebody's problem or something and doing it really well, like one or two good things really well. Uh, Around that, what happens is if you do that, there's a natural instinct for somebody to want to tell somebody about the product, right? 
uh, we've measured our net promoter score, and it's like nine, uh, like a shot over nine, which mm -hmm. is amazing, meaning that if somebody actually goes to that, the, the probability of them sharing it with somebody else is high. And then you want to make sure that that value proposition, like I use the Spotify for guided workouts, like that resonates when you explain this exercise playlist. So then it becomes something novel and unique that somebody would be like, hey, you know, trigger point, uh, they would bring it up. So one of we kind of really am focusing on, this goes back to almost the behavioral things, what are trigger points that would make somebody want to share our app with somebody else? And so mm -hmm. uh, we use the tagline, no gym, no excuse. And so really that's a strategy around anchoring our product and our messaging around gym. And I don't want to say we're like we're placing for a gym. We're actually a great supplement. People go to the gym. They also use our app. The point is, is that if somebody has a great experience with Sorkit, what I want to happen is I want them when they're sitting down and somebody else is at their office or the family member, and then they bring up like, hey, man, like I'm joining this gym or, man, I can't, I, I'm busy. I can't make it to the gym. I want, a light, I want that anchoring of that thought at that point for the person to be like, hey, you can't make it to the gym. If you heard about Sorkin, I download this app. It's really cool. Let me show it to you. And, and it really kind of goes back to I've been really studying, like there's a great book out there. It's actually, I went to Warden Business School and tech background, though, but it's written by a professor at Warden called Contagious. It talks about why things spread by word of mouth, right? And one, one of mm -hmm. the things is utility, right? Utility meaning like something's actually useful to you. You want to share something that's useful. Another thing is like social uh, I forget what it's called, but, like, if it makes you look good, like, you know about the cool new bar that other people don't know about. It's like, you know, there, there, there's, like, six principles. I'm not going to go over all of them, but, like, that really, like, why people share and kind of, like, analyzing true virality. People think virality is, like, people tweeting about it and et cetera, you know, like, why did, the, like, the new app now, it's like everybody's talking about Meerkat, like, why did that go viral? Like, a lot of it is Twitter, but also a lot of it is that it's a kind of a cool factor that, that makes somebody sure. want to talk about it and share it with somebody else because it's something novel and like, oh, you didn't hear about that? And so there's a lot of these principles. So for us, a large part of our user acquisition strategy is around, and, and it's funny with exercise, it's a harder thing, but around actually creating people to become advocates and want to share the product and not in a digital, uh, like, fake way, like just posting something and hoping that they discover it because I think those days are kind of over. But people are saturated. They're like, mm -hmm. so what? Like, you know, long gone are like the exploding on Facebook, like, you know, exactly. Farmville Mafia Wars posts. What's this? <laughs> through. Those, those are done. Um, another important thing is, is that you got to do, they talk about unscalable stuff. So, like, I still do this now. I go, I'm in California right now. I was at, like, a 250-person health tech meetup presenting uh, Sorkit, and then I've got another present, a couple other presentations. And what I'm doing is, is I'm trying to build presence in, like, critical, like, locations to hopefully, like, seed it. Uh, we've done some Facebook 
succeeding in other countries. Our app is actually available in 12 languages. So we've done some initial experiments where we pay, like it's only like $250, but to kind of seed more people discovering it. So then it increases, then those mm-hmm. people start telling other people, right? Uh, and so, exactly. you know, it's like Slack, right? Why did Slack blow up? It's a great freaking product that could have been made five years ago. Like, it's not rocket science. It's just a better <laughs> communication tool. And, like, HipChat's not beating it. Like, it's just exactly. better. And so people want to share things that are superior. And so when you do something really well in an industry that kind of, like, wasn't doing it well before, it, it creates a natural kind of uptick. And so from a user acquisition strategy, I kind of summarize, I would say get your product really right. Find a core set of people that really love it. Understand why they really love it, and then abstract it out and understand, like, how can you get those people to become advocates of your thing. From that point on, try to seed, like, when I mean seed, find out where people are like that. Are they at conferences? Are they at meetups? And try to build that velocity. After that, you need to start thinking about more bigger scale, like it is a great product, you know, more to the things that people are failing to get these, like what is my cost to acquire, what is my cat cost to acquire a user, right? What, you know, if I spend, can I actually, what's the lifetime value of my user? Then you start thinking about really like exactly maybe some paid acquisition and things to supplement that, but it really boils down to like getting your product right and getting a, uh, like advocates and a core set of users and that. That's my opinion, like uh, different people have different opinions, but I hope it's useful for somebody out there. A great opinion, and it's a very common one that's shared across a lot of people. So I can't recall which person it was, but uh, when we were interviewing one of the Motiv UX speakers that's coming up, uh, I was kind of mentioning like the MVP approach, which is like the minimal vial product. She, she countered and said, you know, don't worry about the minimal viable product. It should be the minimum lovable product. So it kind of relates a lot about, uh, with what you were just mentioning. It's really you know, creating something that people love and it's cool and you know, it just creates this trigger in your mind that you, know, you want to keep using and you want to tell people about it. Yep. So awesome. Uh, so where can people find out more information about uh, Nexercise and the apps? Ah, very simple. There's a couple places. Uh, you can go to the App Store, iOS and Android, or even Amazon, and search for an exercise, and that uh, exercise with the N. And when you do, both of our apps will come up, Next Track, which is the behavioral change kind of like gamified fitness, and Sorkid, which is the Spotify for guided workouts that I talked about a bit here. Uh, so if you just search for that, you'll, both of those apps will come up because the company's name is an exercise. You can go to nexercise.com. Again, that's nexercise, uh, exercise with the N in front of it. And the links to download both of the apps there, uh, as well as you can go to Swarkit, which is basically S-Workit, which stands for simplyworkit.com, and you can download that from there. So you can find us. We're pretty findable. <laughs> that's great. Uh, so again, thank you so much for your time. I think you know, a lot of this information can be very beneficial, especially to like startups who are trying to get into the space, uh, not just obviously in the health app fitness area, but uh, just really trying to you know breach their market. 
And obviously you need both a level of product and something that people will want to use continuously. So I think, you know, based on your experience and the learning that you've done through the two different apps, uh, there's a lot to be taken out from it. So uh, just, again, great information, and uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Elliot, and thank uh, the audience for listening.